Welcome to the brand new Patriots and Pinstripes podcast, the official podcast of the New York Yankees AA affiliate Somerset Patriots. And the Patriots have won it! Somerset! My name is Mark Schwartz. On this show, I'll cover all things Somerset Patriots and New York Yankees, from the organizational structure all the way down to the prospects, the AA Northeast League, and everything in between. Welcome back to another edition of the Patriots in Pinstripes podcast. This week, we'll recap the previous series against the Erie Seawolves. We'll also preview the next series against the Richmond Flying Squirrels. The Patriots take the road. And finally, we'll take a look back at the first half of the season. Can't believe we're 59 games in. Should be 60, but the Patriots had a game rained out against the New Hampshire Fisher Cats. So 59 games in. We're at the halfway point. We'll break it all down. It's all coming up on the Patriots in Pinstripes podcast. Who wants to play baseball? Let's go! Yes, sir! Woo! Brandon Pelter with Mark Schwartz. And Mark, the Patriots just split a six-game series against the Erie Seawolves here at TD Bank Ballpark in Bridgewater. This series had a good deal of importance to it and that's because coming into the week we learned that there would be playoffs and with those playoffs what it usually would be is the top teams coming out of each division this year though it's the top two records regardless of division and the Patriots they were down they dropped four of their first six games against Erie so they had a chance to try and even things up when it came to that head-to-head matchup unfortunately though Somerset came a game shy they split the series did have an opportunity on Sunday but couldn't come away with the win what were some of your big takeaways in the series Mark well it was a big series for sure and I know we were very excited to see Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green specifically coming into this week uh, we had seen Riley Green earlier this season when the Patriots were up in Northwest Pennsylvania over at UPMC Park, and he really didn't do too much. I I believe the final numbers in that first series were about like two for 18 or something along those lines for Green. Uh, Certainly a different player this time around. He was very impressive. Unfortunately, we had rain that really dominated the story for the first couple of days of this week. So it kind of threw the entire series into this wacky on again, off again kind of feel. It never really felt like we were fully settled into a series with this much importance. Uh, But Spencer Torkelson was mighty impressive. He had two home runs in this series in the four games that he did play. Uh, Both of those home runs were absolute blasts. One over center field, batter's eye. uh, One well over both rows of advertisements uh, over in left field as well. Uh, So from an eerie standpoint, that was one of the big takeaways that I had from this series is that, you know, this team... We built them up so much, and the top prospects, they came through. They have a deep lineup. Uh, However, along that same line, and we'll get into more depth about this, I'm taking away how impressive this Somerset Patriots pitching staff is because even with some of these impressive bats in the Erie lineup, this was going to be a barometer series for Patriots, specifically the pitching staff that has been so good for so long this season. And, uh, you know, at one point in this series... Patriots pitchers through 22 consecutive innings without allowing a run. So as we walk away from this series, and we'll get into more depth, uh, the big things I'm taking away, Spencer Torkelson is the real deal. Riley Green is the real deal. And I firmly believe at this juncture, with the amount of games that we've seen and the talent that these Patriots pitchers have gone up against, I think this Patriots pitching staff also is the real deal. Only one Patriots pitcher, in uh, starting pitcher, I should say, in this last series allowed more than two earned runs. That's, I mean, that's phenomenal. You can't ask for anything more out of your starters. That includes a spot start on Sunday from Nick Green, who worked four scoreless innings. J.P. Sears allowed two runs in four and two-thirds. The only guy that struggles was Hayden Wisniewski, who allowed four runs on seven hits over five frames. Yeah, Wisniewski has uh, has still struggled a bit. I mean, it goes back to his last start in Harrisburg. He was hit very hard. Uh, his first start at home against Richmond a couple of weeks ago, he was hit hard in that 
that start as well. He has a batting average against of over 300, uh, which is certainly not ideal. The numbers were very impressive at the high A level for Wesneski. Uh, he just hasn't been generating that many swings and misses. There's been a lot of really strong strokes against him. Uh, but Wesneski, who has proven himself at the high A level, he's going to have probably the rest of this season at the double A level to really right the ship. He's a well-thought-of prospect, the top 30 prospect in the Yankees organization, according to MLB Pipeline. Uh, so he'll, ha he'll have plenty of opportunities going up against some weaker lineups to right the ship and start to gain some confidence. But looking over the rest of this Patriots rotation, you know, Nick Green made the spot start on Sunday, and it wasn't originally supposed to be a start for him. Luis Medina over with the Futures game. A couple of games were rained out. That cocktail allowed Green to start and uh, actually wound up putting in a pretty good performance for scoreless innings. But moving forward, you really have Luis Medina, who's going to come back, and he's got as good of stuff as we've seen from any Patriots pitcher this season. You've got Glenn Otto, who I'm sure we'll get to later, who has been tremendous. Jansen Junk, still the lowest qualified ERA uh, in minor league baseball at the time of this taping. Uh, Ken Waldachuk, who has really started to impress. He has a lot of swing and miss stuff after his struggles early on. So there's a lot to like here for this Patriots rotation uh, moving forward and you know being able to traverse this tough series against Erie. Well, we can talk about really any number of these starters, but I want to begin with Ken Waldachuk, who over five frames allowed just a run on three hits. A guy that was just recently, a few weeks ago, called up from high Hudson Valley. We had an opportunity to catch up with him after the game. He said he's been working in a little bit of a different repertoire and really used his slurve, which was his old slider, along with his new version of a slider to get ahead, especially of the big right-handed batters in this era lineup, including Spencer Torkelson and Dylan Dingler. Yeah, the the old slider, which he now calls a slurve, that has a little bit more depth to it, meaning that it goes a little bit further and it doesn't have as much sweeping action. Uh, the new slider is more of a sweeping action. So against right-handed batters, the new slider breaks further away. It has more of that horizontal break, uh, whereas the slurve gets a little bit further and doesn't break as far away from right-handed hitters. And uh, he's used that with a lot of success. He's got a three-quarters arm slot uh, as a left-handed pitcher, which is always tough to pick up. And the strikeout numbers have continued to tick up. He had six Ks over five innings uh, in this last start. And, you know, we, we, when we were talking to Waldachuk, another thing that stood out to me from what he said was I, I had asked him, what's one of the biggest differences that you've seen from hitters at the high A level versus hitters at the double A level? And he said that, you know, hitters at this level will turn on mistakes. You can't make those same mistakes. When he was at high A, and of course he had that 30 and two-thirds consecutive scoreless inning streak, um, you know, we don't we didn't watch every single pitch that he threw when he was with the Renegades, but I'm sure there was a couple of pitches mixed in in those innings that weren't exactly where he wanted them to be, but it's a different caliber of talent, different level of prospects. At this level, if you miss, if you miss in the zone, there's a chance that you know somebody could turn on that pitch and send it a long way. Uh, if you're not pinpoint with your accuracy, you might not get some of those calls or you have batters that have more improved plate discipline that makes it a little bit more difficult. So anytime a guy comes up from high A to double A, it's really hard and and probably unfair to expect. Like for Waldachuk, for example, we were pushing out on our social media accounts. This guy is throwing 30 and two-thirds consecutive innings without allowing a run, making a big deal of it. And rightfully so, you know, it was a very impressive streak for him, but you have to adjust expectations because this is a brand new level for Waldachuk, and we saw that. Uh, however, over his last couple of starts, uh, we've seen more of the swing and miss stuff. He's gaining a little bit more confidence, and he's going to be a big part of this team moving forward. It definitely is a, a different level, and as we've heard from so many people around baseball, this is the big jump. This is where players differentiate themselves and prove who can be a major leaguer and who won't quite make it up to that big league level. Somebody that uh, has continued to really shine, and I think, Mark, that clock's ticking. We keep looking at our watch and waiting for the email to come through is Glenn Otto, who uh, this week on his uh, in his start on Saturday night went six frames, no runs yet again, four hits, no walks, eight Ks. He's gone 13 straight innings without allowing a run, 13 straight without allowing a walk. He has been so good. Oh, it's just so good. I mean, I go back to the start that he made in that last time out against Harrisburg, which we talked about on last week's episode, at one point retiring 20 in a row. And I mean, he went up against a more difficult lineup. Now, albeit on Saturday, 
Torkelson wasn't in the lineup for Erie. Riley Green wasn't in the lineup for Erie. That being said, there's still a lot of talented bats on this team, and he performed very well. Uh, those uh, six scoreless innings, striking out eight. Uh, he is now tossed. What is it? You mentioned 13 consecutive without allowing a run. And you know, looking at the overall picture of minor league baseball, 103 strikeouts. He became the first pitcher among all Double A pitchers to strike out 100 batters at the Double A level this season. And he's tied with Cade Cavalli, who's the top prospect in the Washington Nationals organization uh, for the most strikeouts among anybody in minor league baseball. And with Otto, you know, we talked about it a little bit on the broadcast Saturday night, Brandon. Uh, but the question going into the season was, how does he profile? Does he profile as a long reliever with really good stuff? Does he profile as a starting pitcher? And the question going into the year was, was he going to be consistent enough with his command? Was he going to cut down on the walks to prove that he can elongate his starts and be a successful starting pitcher? Well, we've seen evidence this season of him improving on that command, not only just the last two starts, but over the entire season, just 14 walks for Otto compared to 103 strikeouts. That gets the job done. And you said it before, it's only a matter of time before AAA Scran Wilkesbury comes knocking. And uh, we'll enjoy Otto as long as he's here because he is dazzling some of these Patriots fans. Uh, he's just been so, so impressive. You talk about the evidence. I think not only have we seen it, but it's been clear and convincing. No doubt is he one of the best pitchers on this staff that is already the best or one of the best across all all of minor league baseball. I don't want to brush past Jansen Junk because he was really good as well, pitching five innings, allowing just a run on five hits. The run was a big swing of the bat from Spencer Torkelson, and that's going to happen. You're going to run into a guy like that who is one of the best prospects in all of baseball. Yeah, I mean, look, it was there was two out. It was the top of the first inning in Junk's start. He had uh, been a relief pitcher in the last week against Harrisburg, so maybe a little extra juice back on the mound, and he just let a fastball middle-middle. Uh, I forget what the count was against Torkelson, but, I mean, it was a pitch that was right there, and Spencer Torkelson, we talk about it, 80-grade power on an 80 scale. Uh, he's going to be hitting in the middle of the order for the Detroit Tigers for a long time. He's been turning heads at the, the Futures game on Sunday, even during batting practice. So, you know, Junk made one mistake, Torkelson made him pay, but it shows the resolve of Junk, it shows his demeanor, you know, this is an eerie team that he had a very emotional start against early in the season. It was a season long at the time, six innings, a season high, a career high, nine strikeouts. And we was, he was seen on the broadcast getting very into it. He pitches with a lot of emotion, uh, which is certainly always fun to see. And he bounced it back. He bounced back after allowing that home run to Torkelson. That was the only run that he allowed. Still the ERA on the season, uh, the lowest among qualified minor league pitchers at the time that we're taping this. And, uh, you know, some a guy that I don't want to say necessarily just jumped out of nowhere, but I think going into the season, there were a lot of question marks on what kind of prospect Junk was going to be. And uh, he has proven all of the work that he put in during the offseason, the work with driveline baseball, the work with pitching coach Daniel Moscos over the offseason, the extended time because there was no 2020 minor league baseball season, really working on the slider. He's got run on his fastball. He uses the curve against lefties. Uh, he's just real. You could tell he's put in the work. He cares about his craft and the numbers have proved that. As we turn the page and look at the Patriots offense, I think one of the things that jumps out to me, this team is 30 and 4 when they score 4 or more. They're now 8 and 17 when they score 3 or less, and that was exemplified in this series. Their wins, 6 to 1, 9 to 2, and 5 to nothing. The losses, 4 to 3, 4 to 1, and one to nothing. They had their really bright spots. They also had some days where they couldn't quite push runs across and we saw that especially on Sunday many opportunities but they just couldn't score runs yeah it, you know earlier this season uh, we had talked a lot about how the team had become really home run dependent and we could go specifically back to that series the Patriots played in Erie where I think they scored 10 runs over a five game stretch and eight of those 10 runs were scored specifically on home runs and that is a concern we've talked a lot about the progression of baseball and how it's become more home run dependent and batters and pit and hitting coaches are concerned that pitchers are so talented that you can't put together rallies and you know looking at a guy and if we're look, talking about the lineup uh, you know eventually we're going to talk about Oswaldo Cabrera and the week that he had 
And, you know, the home runs have been such a big part of his production. And, you know, you'll take the home runs. He had a grand slam on Friday. He had the two home run game in game one of Wednesday's doubleheader. Uh, but, you know, after that for Cabrera, there wasn't much else in the produ- from a production standpoint. Uh, but, I mean, you could go back to a game, say, you know, the game one on Friday's doubleheader, a 9-2 win for the Patriots. They only had one home run in that game. Uh, it was a couple of big innings, a six-run third. Of course, the one home run was a grand slam, a rally in the fourth as well. Uh, but then you kind of look at the rest of the series, and, you know, for the Patriots in game two, the only ho- the only run came as a home run. Uh, in Saturday night's game, they got a two-run shot from Donnie Sands to kick things off and then were able to find some other ways to plate runs later in that game. And then on Sunday... Uh, you know, the well just dried up a little bit for this Patriots team. Uh, I didn't think that it was anything too impressive that the Erie Seawolves pitchers were doing on Sunday to shut down this Patriots lineup. Uh, it just seemed like Sunday was a little bit more of a um, it, it didn't the team didn't have the same sense of urgency uh, that we've seen in other games. And it showed both defensively and and at the plate as well. Yeah, absolutely. Two errors in that Sunday game as well. A few uh, base running mistakes in that ball game. As we look at some particular bats for the Patriots, Isaiah Gilliam had a really strong series, and uh, he now has reached in, what is it, 17 of his last 18, now 18 of his last 19 contests. Uh, he hit 400 in the series. Diego Castillo was a doubles machine for the Patriots. Six hits, four of them were doubles, and you already mentioned Oswaldo Cabrera, a couple really big swings. Yeah, I've been really impressed with Isaiah Gilliam. You know, at the beginning of the season, he seemed like a really all-or-nothing kind of player. We saw so many big hacks from him, and uh, he wasn't running into too many pitches that he was able to barrel up. But in looking at his last 19 games that you mentioned, he's reached base in 18 of those last 19 games. He has 15 walks in that stretch as well. The on-base percentage is going to be close to 500. So it's not only that he's been swinging the bat well and barreling up some pitches, his approach at the plate has seemed to get more patient. He leads the team in walks overall this season. And when you combine a more patient approach with more confidence in the way he's swinging, I mean, look at his Sunday game just to top off the series. He went 0 for 2, uh, but he walked twice. The first line drive uh, that he hit was a, a, a double play that could have potentially given the Patriots the lead in the bottom of the ninth inning. So even the outs are hard hits. And, uh, you know, if he's able to continue this patient approach, work the count, get on base and, you know, set the stage at the bottom of the order so that when Diego Castillo and Oswald Peraza and Oswaldo Cabrera come up, there's runners on base for those run producers. You know, Gilliam has has really added another dimension to this lineup. I think also with, uh, you know, Diego Castillo, he had such a good June. Hit 378 in the month of June. The OBP, I think, was something close to 500. I mean, it was unbelievable. Then he fell off a little bit to start July because really all you can do with those numbers is is cool off. But then he comes into this series and hits 300, chatted with him a little bit, and the confidence is there. He's not shying away from that power stroke that's been so successful for him this season. No, he's not not shy away at all and you know there's times in the past where batters and and Diego had mentioned this to you in that conversation uh, where he's thinking a lot at the plate and thinking about okay how is the defense playing me how's the pitcher going to pitch to me what's the ballpark what's the situation and all of these different thoughts come into your head and it kind of bogs you down and it has you thinking more so than just reacting and this year I mean the way that he's approached his play at the plate you know he's just up there swinging He's up there hacking, and uh, it's really allowed him to open up, let loose a little bit, and the numbers have been career bests for Diego Castillo to the point where he's now the leadoff man. He's the leadoff man for the last three weeks for this Patriots team. He has excelled in that role, and I can't imagine a situation right now where uh, they would take him out of that leadoff spot, save for maybe trying to test out Peraza in that spot a little bit more. But, I mean, Castillo's been a table setter. It's been such a tremendous season for him. Yeah, he has really been a, a kind of a trendsetter at the top of the lineup and has kind of gotten that baton moving with the Patriots' offense. Well, the Patriots split a six-game series with the Erie Seawolves. They take three. Erie takes three. It's the last time that they will see the Seawolves in the regular season. And... Next week, they will head to take on the Richmond Flying Squirrels. So we'll break down that series next on the Patriots in Pinstripes podcast. 
Discover the future you at Centenary University. Visit an upcoming virtual information session to learn more about flexible degree or certificate programs online or in person through Centenary Choice. Centenary offers small class sizes, individualized attention, thousands of dollars in scholarships, classes just for returning adults, and new programs including public health, computer science, supply chain management, and certified financial planning. Learn more about how you can earn your degree on your busy schedule. Centenary University. Discover the future you. At RWJ Barnabas Health, we have a passion for heart health. With the largest adult and pediatric cardiac surgery programs in the state, a heart transplant program that's top 15 in the nation, a partnership with Rutgers Health, the latest technology and medical advancements and nationally renowned care for every heart in every one of our communities. Whoever your heart beats for, our hearts beat for you. Let's be healthy together. Visit rwjbh.org heart. Welcome you back to the Patriots in Pinstripes podcast. Somerset takes the road, and they will play the Richmond Flying Squirrels, a six-game set at the Diamond in Richmond, Virginia. The Flying Squirrels, 33-27, and 27, middle of the pack in that uh, Southwest Division. And uh, they have won two straight against the Bowie Bay Sox to end that series. Bowie's really kind of fallen off the table. But for the Patriots, they had a ton of success when they faced Richmond just a few weeks ago here at TD Bank Ballpark, Mark. Yeah, they did. I mean, look, the Patriots took five of six. Now, we should preface this entire conversation the way that the Patriots played against Richmond that series. Luke Voigt was here. It was a rehab appearance for Voight, and it wasn't just like he was playing one game or two games. He was here for the entire week. I believe he played in all but one game. Uh, well, really, all but two, because there was one game where he had That's one right. at bat, uh, and he crushed the solo home <laughs> run through some rain, and then was taken out because we, we played through really wet field conditions that day. So pretty much he played in four games, and you know it's tough to replace that kind of batter in the lineup, so... It's going to feel a little bit different with the Patriots going down to Richmond now that Luke Voigt is not in the lineup. That being said, there were still a number of really strong contributors on the Patriots uh, that week, especially on the offensive side. Donnie Sands had himself a tremendous start to that week. I believe he had four home runs over his first three games, including a two-home run performance that had a walk-off two-run shot back on the 16th, I want to say. Uh, so Sands was tremendous. Diego Castillo, if my memory serves me right, had a really strong series that week against Richmond as well. And, and from a Flying Squirrels perspective, uh, the pitching didn't necessarily stand out too much to me. Uh, the one pitcher we were looking forward to seeing was Sean Jelly, and he was taken out after just a couple of batters uh, in his scheduled start. Um, I believe he's returned back to the regular pitching rotation for Richmond, which is certainly good to see. He's a top prospect, and he stands at 6 feet 11 inches. Uh, so it'll be fun to watch him pitch against Somerset this upcoming week. Aside from Jelly, there wasn't anybody that really stood out to me too much from a pitching perspective, from a hitting perspective. We talked a lot about Elian Ramos, and he was held in check for the most part. I think Frankie Tostado had a couple of home runs. Um, you know, So there was a, a little bit of flashes from Richmond, but, but by and large, Brandon, that was a team that even take Luke Voigt out of the equation from that one week, I think that Somerset still, from a talent perspective, uh, has a clear advantage both on the lineup, the starting pitching, and the bullpen as well. Yeah, quick note on that uh, Donnie Sands two-homer game. That was the first time he did that in his professional career. Um, when in, in Early in that season, so much success, as you mentioned, Mark, against the Flying Squirrels. You also brought up Elliot Ramos, who we talked so much about going into the series. He played all six games, but he just collected three hits and 23 at-bats, hit 130 against the Patriots, also had nine strikeouts in those 23 at-bats. So he really was not much of a factor at all. The only guy that beat the Patriots up was uh, David VR. Eight hits and 22 ABs, including a pair of homers and five RBI. Yeah, VR, you know, he had he ran into some good games for sure. I think there was one game where he reached base four times against the Patriots, but, you know, it was really just him. I'm, I'm looking at some of the other batters 
in this uh, Flying Squirrels lineup and, and trying to remind myself. I mean, Simon Whiteman, uh, top of the order guy with a lot of speed, but really struggled to get on base. Then looking at somebody, you know, say like Victor Fernandez, who has 10 home runs, but just a 244 batting average. Sandro Fabian, we saw him struggle a little bit defensively, though uh, he did have a couple of good swings. Andre Sangulo didn't do too much. Um, you know, there, there was other guys that uh, were able to stand out. Frankie Tostado has his batting average up to 293, eight home runs and 40 RBI to lead the team. Uh, but still, I, I, w- I didn't take anything too much away from Tostado's performance either. Well, so now we're at the halfway point of the season, and really nearly every single podcast for the first half of the season, we were saying that it would be an important week and give us a really good insight on where the Patriots were and if they were legit I think we're at the point where we can say this Patriots team is the real deal. 38-21 and 21 in the season, the best record in the AA Northeast League, one of the top records in all of minor league baseball. This team is really good. So is there anything in particular that you're really looking for them as they go down to Virginia in this series? Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. And, you know, we, we try to play it conservatively uh, because, look, this is, to, to put it, you know, all out on the table, this is our first season at the double-A level, uh, mm-hmm. watching the Patriots. This is the first season that Somerset fans have seen the double-A level. So it's, we wanted to make sure that we didn't jump the gun early on in the year with a lot of the success, especially against, you know, that seer, that six-game sweep against the Hartford Yard Goats and the strong performances against the Reading Fighting Phils and the New Hampshire Fisher Cats at the end of May. We, we, we didn't want to jump the gun at all. Uh, but we've gotten to the point now where it is a large enough sample size where Somerset has really proven themselves. Uh, in terms of what I'm looking for moving forward, from a pitching perspective, you know, I want to see the consistency from some of the starting pitchers. I want to see Luis Medina continue to perform well, to execute his pitches, to show off that command. I want to see Glenn Otto continue to perform and have all of this success over a more elongated stretch of time. Uh, I want to see the guys, the other two guys coming up from high A Hudson Valley and Ken Waldachuk and Hayden Wesneski really settle into the double A level because there's high expectations for both of those guys. I mean, we think about where we are now, you know, and the difference between double A baseball and triple A baseball, you know, for somebody like Medina, Waldachuk and Wesneski, they're even if they start to perform lights out, you know, for Medina, he's on the 40 man roster. So there's always a a potential for a September call up. Uh, But you're really looking at those three guys being at the double A level for the rest of the season. This is going to be a high enough level where the Yankees want to see a more elongated uh, sample size from them to see how they perform. Uh, and with our expectation that Glenn Otto at some point might get called up to AAA, with our expectation that a guy like Jansen Junk might get called up and have a AAA opportunity, or even J.P. Sears for that matter, uh, you're going to start to really have to lean on other guys to fill out this starting rotation. And with Waldachuk, Medina, and Wesneski, it could very well come out that you know when we're having a conversation in September, we're talking about those three guys at the top of the Somerset Patriots rotation, and they're going to have to continue to carry a lot of the load from a pitching perspective. So I'm looking to see how they're able to perform moving forward. And then from a batting perspective... You know, we, we've talked so much about Diego Castillo. I think both of us anticipate he's going to have an opportunity at AAA at some point. Oswaldo Cabrera, you know, he's impressed at this level. Maybe the batting average needs to rise a little bit before he gets an opportunity, but it certainly could be there. Uh, one of the issues for Donnie Sands is that there's so many catchers in this Yankees organization that it's hard to see exactly how he shakes out. You know, there could be guys coming up from Hudson Valley, like Josh Bro had a three home run game earlier this week for Hudson Valley. Uh, he's really picked it up at the plate. They have Anthony Siegler over there as well. Uh, so Sands has been the heart and soul of this team. And because there's so much catching depth, I'm kind of curious to see how that shakes out the rest of the way. Middle infield depth. Uh, with Oswald Peraza, I would imagine he'll stop. He'll probably be here. He's the youngest member of this team, so he'll probably be here for the rest of the Double A season uh, to see how he performs over a long stretch. You know, there, there's a, a lot of the questions. I think the team, as it's currently constructed, is very impressive. And this is a team. If all 28 men stayed as they were, that they would have a very good chance of you know crossing the finish line and battling for a championship. Uh, but we know. 
in affiliated baseball, the same 28 guys that are on the Patriots roster right now are not going to be the same guys on this roster one month from now, two months from now, and by the time they eventually get to the postseason. And that's a, a good point, a really interesting point. I think that's also one of the big reasons why we tried to reserve judgment for quite a while until we saw a big sample size because, you know, while this is our first year in affiliated ball, I think around baseball nobody was quite sure how Major League clubs would handle it. I remember you had J.J. Cooper on the podcast, and he was intrigued to see how quickly would the Yankees be willing to move guys along. It seems seems as we've kind of settled into the season here that it's really at a pretty regular pace. I don't think that there's anything, any guys being held back too much to really slow them down. I also don't really think they're rushing anybody along. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I remember that conversation with J.J. Cooper and he fawned over Luis Medina. Uh, we still, at that point, didn't know where all of these starting pitchers were going to start off. And there's still some high upside guys that kind of need to be placed, like uh, looking at a Vizcaino, for example. Uh, Yoendris Gomez, I think, was getting underway with Tampa and see how those guys progress. But specific to Medina, Cooper was very outright in saying, like, this guy has the stuff. It's all about the command, but if he's able to put it together, he has the best stuff of anybody in the organization. And we've seen flashes from that. Uh, but I, I completely agree, Brandon. You know, we were concerned from a COVID standpoint also with mm -hmm. bubbles and with vaccination reports and all of that kind of stuff, like were there going to be less transfers up and down? And there hasn't been anything in my estimation that has been egregious one way or the other. I think the Yankees have handled everything this season with a lot of class. They've been very organized. They've been conservative in when they want to move guys up and, and when a player gets an opportunity to move up from double A to triple A or from high A to double A, they have earned that opportunity. And uh, it's provided a pretty clear roadmap for for a lot of us that are at the AA level to see exactly how the uh, mechanisms and the the uh, everything in this organization operates. Yeah, absolutely. I want to circle back to just one last player that I'm really looking at for this week, and that's Dermis Garcia, who's been struggling, having a tough go of things these last couple weeks, turning into months really at this point. He's a 172 batter over 52 games. And in my opinion, if Dermis Garcia can get back on a tear and hit like he did against Hartford in that series, that takes this Patriots team from a really good ball club to a no doubt championship caliber team. He has the raw power, 15 homers tied for the league lead but he just at times at the plate looks lost. And he's got 95 strikeouts and 186 at-bats. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Brandon. I mean, you know, this team has had a lot of pop-ups offensively that have been so impressive. And it seems like every week there's somebody new that stands out. Diego Castillo for a while. Oswaldo Cabrera this week. Thomas Malone has been consistent. There's been a couple of big weeks for Michael Beltre as well. And for Dermis Garcia, he had that huge series against Hartford, but... You know, now we're looking at 52 games in for him. That's how many he's played. The team has played 59, and he's batting 172. Now, we talked at the beginning of the season about the home runs and how he had uh, uh, was towards the top of the leaderboard for the Florida State League back in 2019. So we knew that the power was there for Garcia. He started off the season 1 for 17 before he broke out on that first road trip. But if he's able to get that batting average, even from 170, up to, say, 225, 230. If he's able to ri raise his batting average that much while at the same time providing the same amount of power that he has so far this season, just asking for a little bit more average, I mean, imagine what that would do for this lineup. There's been games where Dermis will, you know, he'll go one for four with a 450-foot home run, and then he'll go 0 for 5 with five strikeouts the next night. And, and that's just been the way that this season has gone for him. But imagine taking that 1 for 4 performance with a home run, and you make it 2 for 4. And then instead of 0 for 5, you have 1 for 4 the next night. You know, that is a big difference, mm -hmm. especially with where he hits in the, in the middle of the order. And if he can raise that batting average and really turn things around uh, just from a more consistent basis, it would go such a long way for this Patriots team. Yeah, when he's hitting and putting more balls in play, he is undoubtedly the Patriots' cleanup hitter. But because he has been really unable to put the ball in play with uh, consistencies, dropped in the order of the 5, 6, even the 7 slot. 
we've seen him in. The Patriots get set to take on the Richmond Flying Squirrels. It's a six-game set in Richmond, Virginia. Mark Schwartz will be on the road and have all the play-by-play action. But that's not it for the Patriots in Pinstripes podcast. We're at the halfway mark in the season, and when we return, we'll take a look back on some of the big moments in the first half of the season for Somerset. The Patriots and Pinstripes podcast is brought to you by TD Bank. TD Bank is changing the game with curbside debit card replacement. Whether your debit card was lost in the couch or chewed up by your dog, we've got you covered. Just order a new debit card through the TD Bank app. Then you can walk, bike, or drive up to your nearby TD Bank to score your new card. Now that's the MVP treatment. TD Bank, proud sponsor of the Somerset Patriots. Member FDIC, TD Bank, N.A. Curbside pickup is only available for personal debit card replacements. Green Knoll Golf Course, located in Bridgewater Township and less than five minutes from Route 22, is the original Somerset County Park Commission course. Since 1960, golfers have enjoyed the rolling layout with slight elevation changes throughout the course. Green Knoll Golf Course also features a nine-hole pitch and putt course with holes ranging from 40 to 100 yards. Call 908-722-1301 or visit greennolgolf.com to book a tee time today. All right, Mark, 59 games in. The Patriots, the best record at 38-21 and 21 in the AA Northeast League, and we've had a lot of dramatics, a lot of exclamation mark moments, and I think the one place undoubtedly that we have to start is opening night with Estevan Florial at the plate, the first batter in Patriots history as the AA affiliate of the New York Yankees. And what did he do? He powered one out of here. It was uh, a really a special moment, still limited capacity at the ballpark, but it was as loud as I've ever heard it here at TD Bank Ballpark. I mean, it, there was so much work that went into getting this season started. Uh, not only from a player perspective, of course, you know, Florial and the rest of the team doing so much training just to get back to the point where they could have a professional baseball game. So it was a huge moment for them on the field. Uh, but from a front office perspective, just to uh, be selfish for one second, you know, there was so much that went in over this last off season and to build up and to have this like slow crescendo towards opening night with all of the work that went in and all of the different moving parts and then to finally have baseball albeit with a limited capacity crowd I think we were still at 30% back on May 4th Uh, but even with that 30% crowd to have this slow rise that slow build and then to have it reach its apex with Estevan Florial hitting a solo home run as the first batter in Somerset Patriots AA affiliation history uh, was just it was remarkable. It was stunning. It was exciting. You know, any sort of superlative that you want to provide for it, that that's what it was. It meant so much to, you know, not only the Patriots team and the fans here, but the front office as well. Uh, such a cool moment. And, you know, it wasn't even just that home run. It was five runs in that first inning for the Patriots. Thomas Malone had a three-run home run later in that inning. And we were all sitting here after the first inning was done in our first year, our first game, our first inning with double A baseball and looking at it and be like, what just happened? Is this what it's going to be like all season long? And, you know, of course, you're not going to have five run innings for every inning uh, for the entire season. But it was it was such a remarkable way to start the season. And, and it really set off this entire year on the right footing. And it's it set the stage for for what's been a really fun ride the last uh was it the last two and a half months now? Florial was only with the team for nine games, but he did hit four homers. That wasn't the only time that he led off the game with a bomb. He had a multi-homer game in there as well. He was really special for Somerset. Also to see him make his way back up to the bigs and hit a double with the big league Yankees. Just on Sunday, we gave away uh, a player card strip, and he was on there in his Yankees uniform. That was another special moment for everybody here. Yeah, Florial is going to be remembered for, for all time for what he did that first week. And, and that's likely going to be the only nine games he plays here unless he comes back on a rehab assignment further down the road in his career. And, you know, he's a bit of a polarizing prospect. He has a lot of potential. He was a number one prospect in the Yankees organization for a little while. And some people don't think that he's developed as quickly as he probably should. He's struggled a little bit with the average, both with Somerset and, and his time now with AAA Scranton Wilkes-Barre. But 
you know, the, the nine games that he had here, specifically the six games at home, hitting four home runs over those six games. There was one home run that he hit over the scoreboard. Everything that we were pushing out on social media would get picked up by everyone. Mm-hmm. It was just this whirlwind of excitement. And, you know, he was the first big-time prospect. Both him and Luis Heal uh, were the first really big-time prospects to, to play with the Patriots. And, uh, you know, it was just this sense that, like, whoa, like this is this is a new animal. This is a new world that that we're in, and uh, Florial give us quite the introduction. Well, and even with Luis Hill, he was uh, named to Somerset, the first player assigned to the Patriots a couple months before the season. We still weren't a hundred percent sure though if we'd actually see him, and we got him for a really good stretch. And he at times was downright dominant. Oh, absolutely. We've talked about Luis Medina already in this episode with his stuff. Luis Hill has tremendous stuff as well. He's able to hit 100 miles per hour with his fastball and to have him be our opening day starting pitcher uh, to go twice in that first homestand on Tuesday and that ensuing Sunday and look there were starts for Luis where he struggled with his command it's been the same story for him up with AAA Uh, but you know he was one of those guys where if you knew that it was a Luis heel night you wanted to tune in for that broadcast you wanted to see what he was going to do yeah he ended up making seven starts for the Patriots a 2.64 ERA he's still among the team leaders in strikeouts 50 Ks in 30 and two-thirds innings pitched. He's toward the top uh, for Somerset, fourth most, and he hasn't been with the team for a couple weeks now, getting the call up to Scranton Wilkesbury along with uh, Matt Crook. Greg Weissert got the call as well, which was really exciting to see guys climbing the ladders. A couple other things that come to mind for me, Mark, Zach Britton spending a couple of days here in Somerset, the first major leaguer on a rehab assignment. But I think compared to Luke Voigt, he was a ton of fun. Voight, some bat flips, mashing some home runs, really engaged with our crowd here as well. He was, I mean, look, it was so cool to have Zach Britton here. And unfortunately for some of those Britton games, like he pitched in game one of a couple of double headers and there mm-hmm. was some bad weather. And it like, you know, it was very cool. I mean, Britton's one of the best relievers when he's healthy in Major League Baseball. He's a two-time All-Star. Uh, but, you know... It, it didn't have the same fanfare necessarily as when Luke Voigt was in town. And it's always going to be different on rehab assignments. You have a pitcher who's throwing one inning versus Luke Voigt who's going to be in the field and he's going to get four or five at-bats. Uh, so it's always going to be a little bit of a different vibe. But uh, Voigt really embraced his time here in Somerset. Uh, the fans absolutely ate him up. And he came to perform. He had a couple of big games. He had a couple of big home runs. Uh, really put on a show. And that's always going to be a, a memorable week. And, and that's the other thing is that it wasn't just that he was here for a game or two. He was here for an entire week and, and really had a time to sort of dig into Somerset and find out what it's all about here. And the Patriots got a, a great opportunity to find out what he's all about on the field. I will never forget him popping out to shallow left field and flinging his bat <laughs> in the air. One of the highest bat flips I've ever seen in my life, but he's a big personality. He hits big bombs and, and he really lit things up here at the ballpark. Ended up hitting 438 over five games with two homers for the Patriots. Are there any other players or moments that you really want to highlight here? I know we could talk probably for three whole podcasts about the first half of the season, but any other specifics you want to mention? We we certainly could, and, and there's really two other moments that I really want to dive in on. Uh, the, the first one for me, and it's not really... Oh, I, I will specify it to a moment for, for this podcast episode's sake. Glenn Otto and his first 14 strikeout performance against the Hartford Yard Goats. Now, Glenn Otto was the Northeast League Pitcher of the Week for that first week of the season. I think it was six scoreless that he threw against the Harrisburg Senators. I want to say it was on that Saturday of that series that gave the Patriots a win. He was named the Northeast League Pitcher of the Week, and you know all of us are like, all right, that was, that was great. It was one strong start from Glenn Otto. And then the next time out, he allowed seven runs against the New Hampshire Fisher Cats. And then we were like, okay, well, you know, maybe it's going to be this kind of a year for Glenn. And then his next time out against the Hartford Yard Goats, his third start of the season, he strikes out 14. And it's not only that he strikes out 14, he struck out 14 over five and a one-third innings. 14 of the 16 outs that he recorded were by way of the strikeout. And at that moment, I think, at least from my perspective, it was kind of taking a step back and being like, whoa, all right, we've got something here. That was a really standout performance from Glenn Otto. 
And I think that opened my eyes to what pitchers at this level really could do. Uh, and it opened you know, the door for Otto for the rest of the season where we would have another 14 strikeout performance. And now he's pitching as well as any Patriots pitcher is pitching currently. Uh, so that performance, the 14 strikeout performance against Hartford uh, back in May was the first moment, at least for me, and granted Hartford has a lineup that has continued to struggle all season long, but that was the first moment where I, I, my eyes really opened up and I was like, wow, okay, there's something here. This guy's a little different. Pitching at this level is a little different. This is what it's supposed to look like. Uh, and, and then the other moment that I'll touch on uh, just briefly, I could talk about Luis Medina and how impressive he was in his first start here in Somerset, uh, but I want to go back to that Richmond series just for a moment. Uh, and what Donnie Sands was able to do. I mean, Sands has played with so much emotion this season for this Patriots team, and for him to hit four home runs in three games, uh, highlighted by a walk-off two-run home run that he hit against the Richmond Flying Squirrels, uh, that was at a point in the season where we were still learning more about Richmond. We were still learning more about Somerset, and we had talked so much about how that was going to be you know, a, a turnkey moment for the Patriots as a, as, a, as a team this season to have a heart and soul member of this club hit a walk-off home run and really plant the flag for Somerset saying, you know, we are legit. We can take on any team in this league. Uh, that really stood out to me as well. There have been so many big moments for the Patriots. A ton of success in the first half of the season. 38-21, and 21, top record in the AA Northeast League, one of the top records in all of AA baseball, and really all of the Yankees affiliates are having big seasons. The Patriots, along with their sister organizations, are all in first place in their respective divisions across all levels of minor league baseball. So let's check in with them on the Farm Report. The Tarpons were slated to play a six-game series with the Dunedin Blue Jays this week, but Hurricane Elsa changed some of those plans around. Both Tuesday and Wednesday's games were postponed, and so Dunedin and Tampa played a pair of doubleheaders. When the series opened on Wednesday, Tampa split a doubleheader with Dunedin, taking the first game 21-12 before losing the nightcap 3-1. The Tarpons came back with a 4-1 win on Friday and then in a Saturday doubleheader won the first game 14-2 and lost the second 5-1. It was a big week for Austin Wells as the Yankees catching prospect hit 500 with a pair of doubles, a home run, and eight RBIs. Everson Pereira hit two home runs in game one of the doubleheader on Saturday and had nine runs batted in on the week, including six in that opening game. After an extended slump, Trevor Hover had another good week, hitting 375 with eight driven in and also six walks to get his batting average on the season back above the 300 mark. After the day off on Monday, Tampa returns home to Steinbrenner Field for a seven-game series with the Lakeland Flying Tigers, a doubleheader on Wednesday evening. With this look at the Tarpons, I'm Joe Vasile. The Yankees-Mets vibe came north for the first time this season as the Brooklyn Cyclones visited the Hudson Valley for the first time in 2021 after the Renegades had been to Coney Island twice earlier this year. Game one on Tuesday night featured six home runs and a seesaw affair before two seventh-inning walks broke the tie as the Gades held on for a 9-7 win. Wednesday's affair was more subdued. A 2-2 game went into extra innings. A Sal Torres sacrifice fly gave the Gades a 3-2 victory. Rain washed out Thursday's contest, so the scene shifted to Friday, and the Josh Bro show began. And a drive to deep left, climbing the ladder, turning around and looking. This is long gone. Bro was only a triple shy of the cycle. Johnny Brito pitched seven innings of two-run ball, and the Renegades won 6-4. The rain from Thursday created a doubleheader on Saturday that fans might not forget. In Game 1, Ezekiel Duran hit a first-inning two-run homer as part of an early 4-0 lead. Like Bro, Duran finished a triple shy of the cycle. Mitch Spence went six innings, allowing one run and striking out eight. The Renegades won 7-1. In Game 2, it was time for Big Bro. And a drive to deep left, climbing the ladder, turning around and looking. This is long gone. And he swings at another one and drives it to deep left center. Moving back is Duplantis. He's done it again. Two home runs tonight with two on. And he swings and drives it to deep left. Heading back to the scoreboard. It is gone. 
His three home runs and five RBIs prompted a rare curtain call at Dutchess Stadium, but the Renegades weren't done. The 5 nothing win was almost complete, but Derek Kraft needed to finish what Sean Boyle and Nick Ernst started. High fly ball goes to right. Under it is Cuevas. He settles, and the Renegades have pitched a no-hitter! Despite being unofficial, it's still the second no-hitter in Renegades history. Doug Wechter pitched a nine-inning no-hitter back in 2000. The Gades head to Wilmington and Aberdeen next. That's your Renegades recap. I'm Rob Adams. With this look at the Rail Riders, I'm Adam Marco. Scranton Wilkes-Barre's finishing off a seven-game week, heading into play on Sunday. Three victories and three losses against the Syracuse Mets at PNC Field. The Rail Riders took the first two games of this series to run their winning streak against Syracuse to 12 in a row, but dropped three straight from Game 2 of a doubleheader on Wednesday night through Game 1 of a doubleheader on Saturday. On Friday night, Rail Riders right-hander Davey Garcia got the start, went five shutout innings, allowing two hits. He walked five and struck out three. It's been a bit of a struggle for Garcia since claiming the AAA East Pitcher of the Week honor in early May. All told... The right-handers 1-3 with a 7.45 ERA, 44 strikeouts to 30 walks. The 23-year-old is one of the players that fans are clamoring to see in New York on a more consistent basis. Garcia takes it in stride, however, knowing he's still very young and that there's plenty of work left to be done. If I feel good, like with my arm and everything, I can show my talent, you know. I can show my talent. And I just, I just, I'm working now and... and my pitches, how attack and how compete, like I want every game competing, competing like every pitch, and I think that's helped me a lot. The Rail Riders head into play on Sunday in first place, three and a half games ahead of the Worcester Red Sox. Scranton Wilkesbury will take on Worcester this coming week, and that includes another start for Garcia. The Rail Riders have now seen each team in their division this year. And for Davies' money, even though Worcester and Buffalo are hot on the heels of the Rail Riders, he had a couple of other teams in mind when asked who the toughest competition for Scranton Wilkesbury is. Like for me, I think I think like Rochester is like really really good, and and Syracuse too. Like we play a long long every night is like long game with Syracuse. With the Rail Riders, I'm Adam Marco. TD Bank is changing the game with curbside debit card replacement. Whether your debit card was lost in the couch or chewed up by your dog, they've got you covered. Just order a new debit card through the TD Bank app. Then you can walk, bike, or drive up to your nearby TD Bank to score your new card. Now that's the MVP treatment. TD Bank, proud sponsor of the Somerset Patriots. Member FDIC, TD Bank NA. Curbside pickup is only available for personal debit card replacements. In uncertain times, you need someone who has your back. That's why Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey health plans have the benefits you need. Telemedicine, so you can see a doctor anytime, anywhere. Mental health professionals available 24-7. Virtual ID cards and more on your phone. We'll help you find the plan that covers it all. Because everyone should feel like someone has their back. Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey is here when you need us most. Now and always. Well, Mark, a lot of exciting things. The Patriots on the road for a six-game stretch against the Richmond Flying Squirrels Tuesday through Thursday night or 635 starts. Then on, uh, rather, Tuesday through Friday, 635 starts. Saturday, 605, and uh, Sunday, a 505 start. You can catch all the action. Mark Schwartz will be on the road, and it'll all be on 1450 WCTC and WCTCAM.com. But that's it for the Patriots in Pinstripes podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the Patriots and Pinstripes podcast. Each episode is aired on the Voice of Central Jersey, 1450 WCTC and WCTCAM.com with online versions made available on podcast streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. Please consider giving us a five-star rating if you enjoyed the show. The Patriots and Pinstripes podcast is written, hosted, and edited by me, Mark Schwartz. It is produced by Jack Myatt, Ginny Ott, and the entire team at 1450 WCTC.